This is Cindy Legaretta coming to you from Sky Cave in New Orleans by way of Anchor FM. And this is Telescope of Memory, the third installation from an excerpt from Iron Ships, Wooden Men, Recollections of a Life at Sea. And now, the Royal Freeloaders. They sailed with us many times in my tenure as a musician on five transatlantic ocean liners. They had a home in the south of France, near Antibes. They came aboard by ship's tender since there is no pier in Cannes. Their entourage included a personal maid, a butler, and the Duke's private secretary. They favored the export lines because it had the smoothest sailing ships of all. The Duchess was charming and a regular smiling face. The captain would always welcome them personally and show them to their suite, which was the most opulent on the sun deck. The Duke always looked as if he had swallowed something unpleasant. He seldom smiled and had permanent lines on his face. He always carried the couple's two white miniature poodles. They didn't use the linens from our steward housekeeping department, but instead had pure silk sheets and towels with the azure monogram HRH. The Duke's birth name was Edward Graff, which was changed to Windsor during World War I. The fact that England had a German royal family while at war with Germany didn't sit well, hence the new name. Wallace Warfield Simpson was born in Baltimore and an active social climber since she was a debutante in society. She married Mr. Warfield, whose business kept him in England a lot, and she met the prince through friends. American society loved the Duke and Duchess. They were house guests in Palm Beach, Newport, and the Greenbrier Hotel in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Everywhere Meyer Davis sent his musicians, we would bump into the Duke and the Duchess. They never paid for anything in all the years I worked society jobs. My boss, Meyer Davis, was a social climber in his own right. He had married well. His wife was the sister of Pierre Montieu, the symphony conductor. She played the piano and was often called to play at talent night on shipboard. Meyer's business as the darling of all band leaders netted him $6 million or so in 1955. Society people loved him, and playing cotillions was a lucrative business for him. There were 50 or so musicians in the number one band. I moved up to that level quite by accident. Meyer called me and asked if I knew any songs played by Lionel Hampton. I said, yes, I do. I greatly admired Hamp, as he was called. Okay, Meyer said, be at Newark Airport on such and such a day. Henry Ford is sending his constellation to fly the band to his daughter Charlotte's birthday coming out party at the Ford Mansion in Dearborn, Michigan. I took the job, which was eight hours of continuous music. It paid $500. As it happened, Hamp was on tour in Europe and not available. Meyer talked to Henry Ford, not always the most gracious of men, into hiring me. To a starving student at Juilliard, money like that didn't come around often. And of course, they were there, the Duke and Duchess, and just about everybody else in Hollywood and Palm Beach. The amazing thing about them was 
They never paid a nickel for anything in all the time I entertained them. They had so many friends, fans, hangers-on, and admirers to pick up the tab that they never had to. They never tipped either. In Palm Beach, there was a Horace Dodge at the Greenbrier, free room and board, three Cordon Bleu chefs, three golf courses, a private airfield, and since the Cando Railroad owned the place, Truman Wright, the general manager, welcomed the royal duo with open arms. Now to the ridiculous part of the story. Our boss, the chief steward, called on the phone one night and said, I've been thinking of having a private party for the Duke and Duchess this evening. The sea was up and dancing was out of the question, so why not have a jazz concert? Oh, by the way, he said quietly, don't bring drums, bring the vibes. Then he explained, the Duke thinks he's a musician, he thinks he can play the drums, and he always makes an effort to prove it. He plays very badly. Please don't bring the drums. The band showed up in the bar on sun deck, and they were seated and enjoying drinks. The Duke was holding court, and the two little dogs were at their own tiny table in the corner. This section of France, the Lyon River Gulf, is known for treacherous currents. River flow goes far out to sea. On a previous trip, we had a roll of 53 degrees and broke $5,000 in china and crockery. Dishes on ocean liner galleys are stored in metal racks after they are washed and dried, and that keeps them secure under most conditions. But this was a very extreme roll. The night went on, and we played well. We saw that our audience consisted of the chief steward, the bartender, and the duke and duchess. Everything went well until we hit the Gulf of Lyon, and the roll was a big one. We had no piano to grab onto. Pianos are the most secure instruments on a ship. Heavy bolts secure them to the deck, but we didn't have anything to hold onto. We were all tossed into the opposite corner in a confused, busted-up heap. The vibe went over and broke a clarinet in two pieces. The bass fiddle was reduced to kindling, the trumpet bent but playable, and my beautiful vibe broke three of my ribs when it went over. We picked ourselves up off the floor, and we saw the royal freeloaders making their exit at the door. The Duke turned back toward me, a dog under each arm, and said something I couldn't quite hear. I said, uh, Sir, I beg your pardon, as I approached him. I was holding my excruciating ribs and expecting him to say, Thanks, or whatever. I stared into his watery blue eyes as he sniffed, Pity we couldn't dance. I don't know why, but I would have loved to have smacked him. Thanks for listening. Please come visit my Facebook page. Stay tuned for more stories. I'm Cindy Legaretta, spelled just the way it sounds. Cheers!